Welcome to the History Chicks, where any resemblance to a boring travel log is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome to the show. Again, we come to you with a special feature. We have just returned from our second field trip. This time, the History Chicks took 40 listeners to Boston to go over some sites that were important to us in previous episodes. It was very exciting. This trip did not experience the delays that the London (laughs) trip had. Hooray! In addition to the sites in Boston, we also took a few days to go to Newport, where all the beautiful Gilded Age cottages are. Throughout this episode, you'll hear the voices of our fellow travelers. So it all begins on T minus two days. Susan went ahead of almost everyone for a special trip all her own. Well, not all her own. (laughs) Many others had the same idea. This was a weird trip for me in that I went to college just south of Boston. I spent many weekends in Newport as a kid, so it was all familiar to me. But the things that we went to do, I had never done. I had never been a tourist in the area. So I was just wondering at the very beginning how that would flesh out. But one thing I had never done is gone to Salem, Massachusetts. And since it was October, I thought it would be a great idea to take the ferry from Boston to Salem for the day. There was a street festival going on in Salem, and there was an arts and crafts festival going on in another part. If you've ever seen either Hocus Pocus movie, where there's a festival, it seems, going on the entire time in Salem with people in costume and vendors and just mobs of people, that's exactly what it was like. I knew going in that it was going to be busy, but I was not prepared for the mass of humanity that descended upon Salem on this beautiful fall Saturday. Families and groups of friends and people dressed up and lines everywhere. And like a lot of people since 2020, crowds kind of freak me out. And so I played along for a while until I just couldn't anymore. And I thought, I'm not that hungry to get into that restaurant and wait all that time. But for my personal tour of Salem, I got off the beaten path and into the residential neighborhoods and just walked around. I met some people who told me how they felt about all the um, people descending on the town. Positive, which surprised me. I thought they'd be all curmudgeonly about it. And I just got a beautiful tour of a beautiful little town. Now, I do want to point out that where the Salem witch trials happened was in Salem Village, which is now Danvers, Massachusetts, not Salem. Salem somehow got all the, I don't know, public relations. <laughs> they got they got it all. They have the Witches Museum. They have an art museum that I really wanted to go to, but again, line was too long. Uh, they have the House of Seven Gables, made famous by Nathaniel Hawthorne in his book, House of Seven Gables. So I just wanted to point out that the actual spot isn't where we were, but that's okay. It was still a big party. And if you're into big parties, you should go to Salem in October. I have to tell you what I thought was funny is they kept saying on the news, both radio and TV, do not take your car to Salem. There is nowhere to leave it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, parking was at a premium for sure. The ferry was definitely the way to go. It was a beautiful ferry ride, very short. It was under an hour. It was just nice. 
you know, I love the water. So being out in the water was great. Oh, I do want to tell you, Beckett, I kept forgetting to send you this. There's a Beckett Street in Salem, Massachusetts. Does it have two T's? No, (laughs) it only has one. But there were some really cute house decorations for Halloween. I was quite impressed by that. But again, I wouldn't have seen it if I had just stayed with the crowds. And so now we get to T minus one. On this day, our intrepid travel agent, Laura Hart, who has put together yet another spectacular itinerary, arrived, as did her plus one, her cousin, Sabrina, a.k.a. the life of the party. More on that later. (laughs) She's amazing. So both of them and both of us, Susan and I, decided that to keep with our theme of having a fabulous brunch the day before everyone got there, we went to another spectacular rooftop location. The restaurant is called Contessa. It's the rooftop restaurant of the Newberry Hotel, which used to be the Ritz on Newberry Street, which is a very posh shopping district. And this restaurant, I saw it online and I loved it and I couldn't get a table. But the greatest concierge in the world at the Hilton Faneuil Hall, John, was able to get us a table. Yay, concierges. (laughs) They're always the guy that knows a guy. Yeah. You know? This time it was a woman. He knew a woman who was a bartender and got in touch with her on my behalf. So this place is amazing. You enter a hall. As a matter of fact, we entered with a lady dressed head to toe as a witch with um, black and purple striped tights and super tall pointy witch boots and everything. Not entirely sure where she was going, but it's one elevator to one place on the roof. So she was obviously going the same place we were. We never saw her again once we got to the roof. Some seriously surrealistic wallpaper. We'll put a couple of pictures that I took. We don't 100% even understand. Some people had bird cages on their head. There were rabbits in top hats looking cheekily out at you. A lot of um, notable figures from the 1930s figured in this wallpaper which was brown and cream like 1972. I really don't understand it. It was spectacular. I spotted Larry Bird drawn in there somewhere. I took a picture for my husband, who's a huge Celtics fan. One thing about this place that I really remember is the floral arrangements in the bathrooms were probably $500 floral arrangements. Oh, easily. And speaking of bathrooms, there was a number of us that were on the tour that decided to connect through the new social media app, Be Real. And what Be Real does is send out a notification at a certain time every day to everybody on the platform to take a photo at that moment. It takes a photo from both cameras. So there's a little selfie of yourself in there as well as wherever you are being real. And I was in the bathroom when the notification went off. So, Ah. yeah, that was fun. So I have a lovely shot of a very lovely bathroom stall door. I mean, it was it was beautiful. If you didn't know it was a bathroom stall, I don't think you could tell. But anyway, (laughs) that just cracked me up. I'm like, of course. Well, it cracked me up because you peeled off and you're like, I just have to take a picture. And I'm thinking (laughs) of the bathroom. But hilariously, I took a picture of the candle they had burning in the bathroom. So we both committed some kind of social gaffe. So um, since Susan and I had some time to ourselves, we went, number one, we went on on a mission and then we went on an excursion. The mission was to go find some local snack items to put into the treat bags. We had come up with a list when we were back home in Missouri of things that we both who had lived in New England thought of as New England snacks. Boston baked beans were at the top of my list and I did not want to have to 
search for them. So I did order them ahead of time, as well as uh, tea from one of the companies whose tea was dumped into the harbor during the Boston Tea Party. So I had those going in. But it really wasn't as much fun looking for local snacks when everything looks so familiar. Yeah, the difference between doing this in London and doing this in Boston was that things that perhaps would have been exotic to people outside of the United States, like Cape Cod salt and vinegar chips, you can buy at your local price chopper, you know? Right. So we went on a bit of an adventure and ultimately found maple cotton candy. Which, which was, was delicious. And we bought all of it, except <laughs> for maybe two canisters. And so I'm very concernicus that the man thinks, oh my gosh, I'm a hit. And like, mm, yes, <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure you'll meet those numbers next week because no. we will not be there. No, but that was a great find. And we found some other snacks that were made in New England for the bag. So success. Yay. And then we went to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Specifically, we went to see the traveling portraits of Barack and Michelle Obama. The portrait of Barack Obama, of course, is by Kahinde Wiley. We have one of his pieces here at the Art Museum in Kansas City. And then Amy Sherald's Michelle Obama portrait. And they were there. Um, Susan got us tickets. You had to have time tickets. It was a very tightly run scenario there. Uh, Kind of amazing to see them. They are on a national tour and they're on their way back to their permanent home at the National Portrait Gallery. So it was pretty amazing that we got to see them in person. Mm-hmm. And when we left the exhibit of the Obama portraits, all down a hallway was a bunch of artwork done by children of people that they felt were activists and heroes. And I just love that they included kids' artwork in the Museum of Fine Art. Hundreds and hundreds of pictures made by elementary and middle school students in the Boston area. Because we were there and we like art. We walked around the museum. The first thing that struck me was the Art of the Americas collection. There was a John Copley painting of Paul Revere, and I know you've seen it. It's the one where Paul Revere looks just like Jack Black, and it just always makes me laugh. And we were also on a quest in the museum to find a painting of George Washington that a friend of mine had seen, and she wondered what the story behind it was. Behind is the key word, as the (laughs) main character in this painting is a giant horse behind. About nine feet tall. Yeah, it's a Gilbert Stewart painting called Washington at Georgester Heights. It was painted almost 10 years after Washington had died, and he looks very... um, presidential and like his pants could be a little looser. Let's leave that there. Um, Two artists that we were very pleased to see. uh, One, a woman, of course, Mary Cassatt, who we haven't covered, but this museum has a significant number of her works. And then another artist that comes in to our show a lot, although he himself will never be a subject, is John Singer Sargent. A significant amount of his paintings are there also. And I think we were both struck by five paintings by the artist Michelina Wattier. They were all children and they uh, represented the five senses and they're from the 1600s. One thing about this artist is she, like a lot of female artists, kind of faded from the official record. There's a professor of art history in Belgium that literally resurrected her story and her reputation as recently as, brace yourself, 2000. 18. So these paintings are 370 years old and they 
are just recently, you know, brought to the public eye. And so I feel very privileged to be able to see them. Mm-hmm. All of these paintings, all five of the senses together, which I don't know how long they're going to stay together. You know what happens yeah, to things, yeah. you know, Monet's water lilies even is broken up into three parts and is in three different cities most of the time. So anyway, I feel very privileged to have been able to see that. And another um, painting that kind of you turn the corner and shocks you a little because it's one of those rock star paintings that you have seen everywhere. Like everyone has had a print of this mm-hmm. um, sometime in their life. Renoir, The Dance at Bougival. Gosh, we'll put that in the um, show notes or on the Pinterest board for this particular episode. But it's one of those things like I saw Grant Wood's American Gothic in Chicago and got the same reaction like, oh. You know, yeah. it yeah. exists. It's real. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. um, so that was kind of amazing, too. You know, the one that caught my breath so much was Degas' sculpture of the little dancer at 14. I've never honestly never even thought of it as a sculpture because all I ever saw was photographs of it. And to see it right there, life size, it really took my breath away. It made me think of my mom, of course, because she was a dancer and she had a print of it in her office. Definitely worth a visit, of course. That entire museum was spectacular. I'm very glad we went. It was time to meet everyone the day before the tour began. That night, we went and met up at the oldest tavern in the United States, the Bell in Hand. And we had a private room upstairs, and we had a very lovely buffet of appetizers. And a bar was open, and everybody showed up, and they blended so fast. It blew my mind. That happened, actually, on the London tour also. I really like the shorthand that comes with having a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you meet someone new and your friend sort of vouches for them or whatever. Well, right. Everyone there had two friends in common, if not more, but two friends in common. They had us, um, Beckett and Susan. You know, they had a great starting point with which to start a friendship. And just from the outset, the groups were mixing and mingling and introducing themselves and laughing. The room was loud with laughter and conversation. You know, there was just not one awkward moment. No. After we finished that, we all climbed aboard a trolley for a trolley. I say trolley. It was really a bus looking like a trolley, you know, open air, Uh, a trolley tour of the city just to get our bearings straight. And we had the most amazing tour guide. His name was Tiger. And he was just fabulous in that he took a tour that he must give all the time. And he kind of personalized it for our group, pointing out things that he knew that we would be interested in, you know, focusing more on on historic, you know, especially if there was something that women did. Or there was one point he pointed out a bookstore. He's like, you guys will love this bookstore. And like, yeah, we did. <laughs> we loved he it. also pointed out the butcher shop that Julia Child liked to use, Savinor. Mm-hmm. He also was extremely good at backing a fully laden bus three blocks down a major street with cars parked on both sides and making that tight turn at the end. So we all gave him a round of applause. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, a full bus on a city street backwards. Impressive. Blindfolded with no hands. Yes, no, right. Just kidding. In high heels. <laughs> and so officially day one of the tour, we got into a motor coach and headed to Concord, Massachusetts, which the doorman in classic Boston fashion referred to as Concord. <laughs> We made him say it again, and he bowed. And when we arrived at Orchard House, 
with its teal-colored door, and they had put lovely bright orange pumpkins outside, tis the season, etc. It was so small that we had to break up into smaller groups to go through the house. And on my tour group, almost everybody teared up when we got to Louisa May Alcott's bedroom, the bedroom in which she wrote Little Women. We couldn't take pictures inside, but had we been able to, we all would have taken a photo of this little half round desk where she wrote one of our favorite books of all time. Her father had made her that desk, but since we couldn't take pictures of it, the only desk on the postcard is a much more put together, bought in commercial desk. That's not the one we wanted to take pictures of. That's right. And I think we all obeyed this time. We didn't necessarily obey in Jane Austen's house. When we took pictures of the equally teeny tiny table, which great works of our heart have been written, I really wish we would have, and maybe we can solicit the director who came out to speak to us to take a picture of that desk for us and send it. I think that's a goal. That's a good goal. Yeah, I my group also teared up when we walked into her room and saw that desk. We were crying. It was great. <laughs> and then another revelation um, throughout the house were many works by Louisa May Alcott's youngest sister, May, We referred to her, of course, in our Louisa May Alcott podcast and explained that she was the prototype for Joe's sister, Amy, in Little Women. And you think, okay, she's an artist or whatever. Oh, she's a spectacular artist. And if you had such a one in your family, you would consider yourself lucky to have so many of her paintings and drawings decorating the walls of your house. She perhaps was overshadowed by the talent of her older sister, but became, to me, a most interesting subject in her own right when we were on that tour. Here's a little known fact for you. Once upon a time, to make some money, May, the youngest sister, the artist, decided to give lessons in sculpture. And one of her students was a young man who went on to create the Lincoln Memorial. All right, everybody should have chills right now. There was a group of us that went out on a quest, two quests, actually, One of the women on our tour, Stephanie, had really never seen a color-changing tree before, having come from an inhospitable climate to such trees. And so we made it our mission to get her into a pile of leaves to make a leaf angel. That was one quest. Spectacular, joyous, our laughs running throughout the town. (laughs) Yes. Hi, my name is Stephanie, and this was my first solo vacation. I'm glad I was able to do this safely with a wonderful group of people. Every day was a new adventure I normally only dream about with a breathtaking scenery. Everyone was so welcoming. We were all eager to learn more history of the places we were visiting, and all of our guides were just as eager to share their knowledge. They were so patient and supportive, whether it be while I searched for the perfect fall leaf crunch or while I was taking in every second of each location I possibly could, thus making me the straggler of the group. I will always remember this trip as a key highlight in my life that solidified my independence. I cannot be more grateful to have gotten the opportunity to join, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you, Laura, Susan, and Beckett for this adventure. 
But another quest, we walked up to the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, not the one in Sleepy Hollow, New York, but the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, um, vast, extensive, but we specifically were on the hunt for Louisa May Alcott's grave. There's a place called Author's Ridge where you've got Nathaniel Hawthorne up there. You've got Louisa May Alcott and her family up there. You've got Thoreau. On the way, we read many other gravestones. And I am particularly struck by this one. I just wanted to read it to you. Somebody loved this person and she also obviously made ripples in everyone's life. Her name is Alicia Keys and her epitaph says, her work and joy lay in stimulating others with the beauty she saw everywhere. And that is a great tribute. Yeah, that is. The one that really jumped out at me and I actually stopped to take a picture of was a headstone and all it said on it was little Clara. And there was a little engraving of a sleeping toddler on it. There's no date, nothing else. Just said little Clara. Hi, my name is Nancy. I seagulled in for the morning in Concord, where I was delighted to see Susan and Beckett, as well as women I had met in London or in the podcast lounge. I got to meet Sean and Audrey from our History Chicks online trivia quiz. For me, that morning was a range of emotions, joy at being in New England again, wonder at how Louisa May Alcott wrote such big works at such a little desk, happiness at seeing friends old and new, and gratitude at being rescued from going the wrong way again, searching for Author's Ridge in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. My seagull sojourn was too short, but lovely nonetheless. Thanks to Laura for all of her organizing prowess, and to Beckett and Susan, not only for the podcast, but also for building this community that sustains me. And then, um, I don't, not to harp too heartily on cemetery stones, on <laughs> gravestones, but um, I took a picture of another one, and up top is the husband's name and pertinent dates. And then underneath, unusually, the wife got a lot of press, a lot of space. That's very unusual. Lavina Wright, who was 13 years old, living with her parents at the Wright Tavern when the British soldiers came to Concord, April 19th, 1775. But that's not the day she died. She lived much longer and died at the age of 76. But I thought it was interesting that they remarked upon her presence during a key moment in the American Revolution and a key moment that we were able to experience a little of because we took another field trip in Concord. We lucked out with the tour guides. This yeah. this guy's name was Joe and he took us to the old North Bridge where the shot was heard round the world. You know, we don't usually talk about wars too much. So he probably talked about the Revolutionary War more than you and I ever have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was important that we did that while we were there and seeing that Minuteman statue, you know, the young man with a gun on one shoulder and a plow in his other hand, you know, ready to do what he has to do for his country, but then get back to his life. This tour guide made things come alive in a way that I I was actually a little bit um, amazed by. Although, you know, we, we do that all the time. Our goal is to make it personal and not have it be just cold dates and times. And so we went to the Old North Bridge and he painted a picture. 
the British had found out that the Americans were storing supplies, you know, vast bags of wheat, lots of ammunition, some weapons up in Concord. And so they sent hundreds of troops up to Concord to not hurt anyone. That was their brief and not interfere with personal property. But if you see caches of things that are obviously for an army, you are to burn them. Well, all the Minutemen, hearing that the British soldiers were on the way, vaporized into the woods up above this hill by this bridge. And the way that he described it as basically a misunderstanding of what was happening caused the shot heard round the world, the start of the revolution. I would sing it, but I don't know if I have to pay to Schoolhouse Rock. Um So the men up in the woods looked down and saw vast plumes of smoke coming from down below their town. And their assumption was that the soldiers had set their houses on fire. Uh, Their wives were there. Their children were there. And of course, the panic and righteousness rose up and thus shots were fired. It was a misunderstanding about what was happening. But nevertheless, the war was on. After that moment, Joe made that just so clear to me, you know, just the very human emotions that caused this percolating stress to just boil over into conflict. Yeah. And I mean, intellectually, I knew it, but I really felt it when he pointed out that there weren't Americans and British people. They were all British at that time. And so it was, in effect, kind of a civil war. I never had the whole emotional experience behind it before. And then right across the street from the Old North Bridge, I have noticed this happening a lot more and I commend it. So at Concord, there is a house preserved called the Robbins House. And it is the result of two major historical projects, the Drinking Gourd Project of Concord, Massachusetts, and the Bench by the Road Project of the Tony Morrison Society. And their goals are very similar. Integrating the stories of African-American history into the stories that have been the ones told, you know, Mm -hmm. um, wherever they may be. And this particular house, I I think we should just link you to it. It's robinshouse.org if you wanted to just follow that. But he told the story of this family who had gone two different paths. One was a merchant, one was a farmer, and um, all about their history in this community. I'm sorry to say that we couldn't go in as it was a Monday. And something you should know, every museum's closed on a Monday. (laughs) I don't know how we got into the Louisa May Alcott house. It was probably, you know, the director's interference. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so as has been starting to happen, the African-American history is being integrated in. And so we want to link you to the good work that they are doing. Hi, I'm Sharon. Our week had a lot of amazing moments, many provided by local guides we met along the way. One moment was the day we visited Concord. At the end of our time at Northbridge, learning about the beginnings of the Revolutionary War, our wonderful guide, Joe, had us gather in the parking lot. He pointed out a nearby home that had been relocated to this National Historic Park from its original location, a 544-square-foot home called the Robbins House. Built in the early 1820s, the home and its inhabitants, descendants of formerly enslaved Revolutionary War veteran Susan Robbins, are part of Concord's African-American history. Multiple family members lived together, one family in the west side of the house, another in the east side. 
Joe spoke particularly about Ellen Garrison, Susan Robinson's granddaughter. She spent her life educating herself and newly freed people fighting for civil rights. Ellen has been described as Concord's Rosa Parks. In 1866, to test a new segregation law, she sat in a segregated waiting room in a Baltimore train station only to be forcibly ejected. Joe used the importance of Ellen's story to point out challenges historians have in uncovering them. It can be easier, he said, to put together the story of a prominent, well-documented person rather than that of a marginalized person or people. But, he added, many historians are doing just that. Joe and our other local guides were amazing. Thanks to all of you. And then we went to Walden Pond, which is giant and freezing cold. And it was so New England there and glorious. All the trees were changing. It was misty, moisty weather. You know, some may say full rain. I didn't have an umbrella, so I just got wetter and wetter. And there's a point (laughs) which, you know, why run? You're not going to get any wetter. Speaking of that, as we were going down there, I thought, how hilarious if people are swimming. Sure enough, people were swimming. And there was a woman down there practicing her swim in this freezing water who had simply just come back from swimming the English Channel, like you do. But yeah, it was probably very similar to weather for the English Channel because it was kind of chilly that day. One of our people took her shoes off and walked in it so that she could have been in Walden Pond. I thought that was pretty cool. And I have to say that Be Real notification went off while I was staring at that woman swimming out. So I got a great one. (laughs) And I also had a great conversation with two Scotsmen. I don't know about the one because he didn't speak. He just turned red and kept running. But we encountered, (laughs) I asked if they had been swimming to a man in a wetsuit who'd obviously been swimming. And he explained gleefully in a Scottish accent that I'm definitely not going to be able to recreate He pointed at his friend and said, he was swimming without any trousers (laughs) until he saw all of you lot. Then he had to hide behind a bush and put some pants on. (laughs) And by pants, he meant underpants. (laughs) And so the red faced man in underpants also passed us on the path. Two skinny dips in the 50-degree weather. That would be Scotsmen and people that swim the English channel. That's right. That's right. There was a reproduction of Henry David Thoreau's cabin where he wrote Walden Pond, and we were all very excited to look in the windows of that. It was small, but the thing that struck me is it looked exactly like it did on the set of Dickinson, the Apple TV show. Emily had made a pilgrimage out to visit him in that show, and it looked exactly like that. (laughs) Is that stupid? Like when TV shows get it right, it should be normal, not celebrated. My name is Madeline. I went on a trip with my mom. We love sharing History Chicks episodes with each other. So being able to experience this together was really cool. I kept saying things like, Mom, we just walked through the breakers with a History Chick. Things like that all trip. While it was my first time in New England, my mom had actually come with my dad on her honeymoon. So it was cool to be able to hear about the family history. Before this trip, I didn't realize how many important people all existed and were connected together in Concord. Not only were there all the transcendentalist friends, but Emerson's family was there for the shot heard around the world. Also, Daniel Chester French, designer of the statue of Abraham Lincoln in the Lincoln Memorial, spent time with the Alcott family as well. There must be some good water in Concord. 
after a spectacular dinner at a food hall, which is um like a very, very fancy food court. Yeah. I have had a lot of lobster rolls in my life. That was the very best lobster roll I have ever had. It was so good. I'm, t- I'm going back in a few weeks for a wedding, and I'm going to take my son there because I know he'll love it, too. That was a great find. I love that place. And they have a champagne vending machine. <laughs> so that's spectacular. Also, frozen gin and tonics, just if you're in the area. So this day was just packed, but yet we had more. Several groups of us took a Ghosts and Gravestones tour that evening when we got back from Concord. On this tour, it was another one of those trolley tours, and we went to a number of graveyards in Boston, got out, walked in, heard the stories. But the one that struck me the most is when we saw Paul Revere's grave, and it is sitting right next to what people always think is Paul Revere's grave, but it's a monument that was put up long after his death, and his grave is just this little teeny tiny one to the right of it. So. And they explained that people were always bent out of shape and disappointed to to see that tiny thing. And so a monument was erected right next door. So people felt like they had the appropriate level of reverence for such a prominent historical figure that they could put their coins and other mementos upon. Mm-hmm. Spoons, I saw. The day we were there, there were some spoons on it. Um, gosh, do they rake in the silver spoons there at the grave? I hope that money goes to a good purpose. One thing I really liked about that tour, well, two things. One is modern Boston lives cheek by jowl with some amazing history in a way that most cities in America just don't. You know, as they always say in England, 100 miles seems far. And in America, 100 years seems like a long time ago. It's just different perspectives. But in Boston, it's almost like British in its living next to history, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so all of those ancient gravestones are right next to, you know, a shawarma restaurant or whatever. Right, right, right. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. And then also... We heard about a serial killer. We heard about the Boston Strangler. Actually, the most prolific serial killer in Boston was a woman. And we probably will cover her, but it's a woman named Jane Toppin, a serial killer, a nurse named Jolly Jane. And I'm not going to get too much into her story because I don't want to spoil it, but she is reputed to have killed over 100 people in the Boston area, just sort of between uh, around the Titanic era and a little bit earlier. Tuesday was action-packed. I just want to give a tiny little shout-out to the coffee shop that was attached to the hotel, which looked so much like my actual house. (laughs) It does. With all of its old machinery. Uh, I also have a typewriter on a stand in the middle of my living room. How did they know? A trunk as a coffee table. So I felt right at home. So uh, after a lovely breakfast there, we headed off on an adventure. We were headed to Fall River 
to go to Lizzie Borden's house, a house that I swore up and down I would never set foot in. And what does so, that teach you? Never say never. That is true. I know everyone was tasking me with that too. I'm like, I know, but what am I supposed to do? Lurk around outside in the parking lot? Well, everybody goes in. I don't know. <laughs> I decided to breathe shallowly and mm-hmm. think positive thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, this is Cynthia. I was one of the I think three two-timers who have also went to London and went on this trip. Like London, it would be impossible for me to pick a favorite place or from this trip. But the thing I've been thinking about the most since we've been back is the Lizzie Borden house. We had a really awesome tour guide. She explained what we know about the case, also what we don't know. She kept throwing in additional facts or suspicions or theories. She'd call them food for thought. And it was really fascinating to see where it happened, how the house was laid out with no hallways. It really is a crazy maze of a house. There was a small piano in the parlor, and on the piano was this sheet music for a song called You Can't Chop Your Papa Up in Massachusetts. Apparently, a group called the Chad Mitchell Trio recorded this song in 1963. You can find it on YouTube. It's kind of like a folk song, and it's really quite funny. One verse goes, you can't chop your papa up in Massachusetts, not even if it's planned as a surprise. No, you can't chop your papa up in Massachusetts. You know how neighbors love to criticize. Anyway, thanks again to Laura, Susan, and Becca for a wonderful trip. See you next time. So I liked that. I also thought it was um, interesting that our tour guide, who was actually a woman uh, and not the same person um, that you had, said that often they will come as they run it as a bed and breakfast, they will come to work and discover that the people are sleeping in their cars in the parking lot. Really? Mm -hmm. It overcomes them. Either they have seen ghosts or they have worked themselves up into such a pitch that they imagine there's ghosts or in general, the atmosphere is freaking them out and they will go take their blankets and sleep in their cars. Interesting that you would pay all that money to sleep in your car. Also, she set the neighborhood up well, I think. So... Um, you know, the fancy neighborhood was in a different place. And due to the parsimony of their father and his desire to be near his work, they lived in a very immigrant area. And just the resentment had grown in the house and it was an unusual place for them to be. And she just really set up the tensions very nicely, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, among the family. And then Many options were presented and they never came down on one side or the other, but they would, it was like a true crime podcast and unfolding in real life. She would say some fact and then she would say food for thought. (laughs) And so by the end, you were fully convinced that any of these people could have been involved or done it or were completely innocent. You just really had no idea what to think. And that's probably the aura of mystery that they would like to cultivate. Yeah. We can't go back in time and never find out. And there's really no way the chances are low. They ever really well determine who did the murders, you know. Right. And even though we covered her so many years ago, there's still active people discussing it. Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind. This is Lynn from Dallas. Before the New England field trip, I thought the Lizzie Borden house tour would be the least interesting of the places we would see on the itinerary. Axe murderers and true crime aren't my thing but I was surprised how immersive the Borden home tour actually was. The story of Lizzie's parents' death was presented with multiple suspects and motives. In addition to Lizzie, the murderer or accomplice could have been Lizzie's uncle John Morse, who was a butcher, or the housemaid Bridget Sullivan. 
However, the most intriguing tidbit we learned on the tour was how evidence was mishandled by the police. The doctor and investigators moved legs and arms of the murdered victims' bodies before the crime scene photographer arrived about four hours later, and some clothing was repositioned on both bodies for photographs. When originally found, Abby Borden's skirt and petticoats were showing some of her legs, so the photographer rearranged her skirts to be less revealing. Lizzie testified that her father took his shoes off before lying on the couch where she last saw him. But for propriety of the time, the police photographer put Andrew Borden's shoes back on the body so his lasting image would not be in stocking feet. It was interesting to learn how imprecise crime scene forensics was in the late 19th century compared to our current day. You said food for thought, and I laughed because I also took a picture of something that was hanging on the wall, and it was a page from a cookbook for a recipe for mutton stew, which is what they made. And it was sitting there. They'd been eating it for like four days in the hot weather, and everybody had a little mutton stew revenge going on. I know they um, referred to food poisoning as the summer ailment. That's how common it was, that food would just go bad in the summer. Mm -hmm. You would eat it, and then you would visit the lavatory (laughs) in excess of the times you wish to be there. Yeah. The end with that. Um, So yes, some graphic photos were shown in which I and several others instead decided to examine the silverware and (laughs) to look at the sign for the restroom that says, beware of hatchets. (laughs) Anywhere to look except for where they were telling us to look. It was some graphic photos up in there. Yeah. I looked at them. Yeah. (laughs) Not a shock. I did just the opposite. Like, oh, where's the, oh, oh. So when we escaped Lizzie Borden's house. Alive. Yay. Yay. And we got on the road on our way to Newport. Spectacular antiquing and vintage shopping were to be had there. Becky comes. I'm like, what'd you get? She said, I've got camo cashmere. And it was a cashmere sweater in a camo pattern. And it was so very you. One of the travelers, his name is Sean, one of the roosters that were on the trip. He got this fabulous jacket that looked like something he already should have owned. I love it when that happens. What did you buy there? I think we all ended up parting with money there. I did. I actually bought um, a pair of earrings made by a local craftsperson. That they just caught my eyes. They were shiny. They were pretty. The other quest we were doing while we were walking around Newport that day was finding leaves that had the proper amount of crunch for Stephanie. Like it wasn't just enough for her now to find the colored leaves and lay down and make a leaf angel. Now she wanted to find the one that had the crunch that she was looking for. And we all watched as you crossed the street right in front of the Newport Middle School and walked up and down crunching much to the bemusement of the crossing guard and probably all of the 10 to 12-year-olds inside of that building. I wanted her to find the crunchy leaves. So there is a certain lack of um, embarrassment that comes into play when you're on vacation because you're like, you know, whatever. Stephanie wants crunchy leaves. By golly, we're going to find her crunchy leaves. Spectacular. And last but not least, with regard to that trip, if I were to get a second tattoo, the sign for the Anchor Steam Tattoo Gallery was Marie Antoinette with a ship on her head, and I was intrigued enough to make a note of it. <laughs> the That's all I'm saying right now. That afternoon, we were very privileged to take a tour of Doris Duke's 
mansion. It's called Rough Point. And no, we have not yet covered Doris Duke. She was a socialite philanthropist with a very colorful array of friends. And her mansion is like all these cottages, like right on the water with a beautiful view of Narragansett Bay. And um, it is just so eclectically filled. It felt homey to me. But nevertheless had real Romney portraits hanging in the stairwell. <laughs> well, and Catherine the Great's table. <laughs> yes. So there were some elevated decor situations, but nevertheless, and people didn't believe me necessarily when I said, because, you know, I used to live in Rhode Island and I've been to these cottages before, but not this one. And I said, in contrast to the ones you're going to see tomorrow, this is an extraordinarily livable mansion. Mm -hmm. And they're like, really? But you could see yourself. And she lived there up until was it the 80s or the 90s? So it's a very recent freezing in time in comparison to the other houses that we saw. Mm -hmm. um, and I really think that made a difference. Yeah. Deanne, I loved visiting Rough Point, Doris Duke's house in Newport, Rhode Island. The house is huge and amazing, but it also has a lived-in accessibility. It's as if she just stepped out for a minute and would be right back. The guide let us walk into one of her closets and among the shoes, I noticed a pair of well-worn point shoes. I asked the guide about them, and he had no knowledge of them, and he hadn't even noticed them before. But to me, they spoke volumes. Doris Duke wore them and danced in them. I have no idea if she went to a ballet class or just danced around the house, but it was a window into her life. Those shoes reached into the future or back into the past, depending on how you look at it, and touched me. I was connected to history and for a brief moment to the woman who lived there. Thank you, Beckett, Susan, Laura, and Sabrina for an amazing experience. I want to say it was the trip of a lifetime, but I have every intention of going on another field trip and look forward to seeing all of you again. And also, uh, 10 points to Sharon and 10 points to myself, who were frozen by a picture that looked very Nell Gwen-like over the mantelpiece. And we had to snap it and use Google Image to determine we had the right era, but not the right person. But we felt proud of ourselves for the identification. Mm -hmm. We also went to the conservatory, where once upon a time, the owner of the house kept her pet camels if it were stormy outside, <laughs> like you do. And the views from that back room can't be beat. Mm -mm, no. And there was geranium still um, in bloom inside, which were just, i that's just like a homey flower to me. The solariums and the garden rooms were my favorites of all the mansions that we toured. For and I wouldn't reasons. be surprised if not every single person on this tour took a picture of the ocean through the windows of this house. I Yep, I think they did. I took mine with geraniums in the forefront. Actually, the geraniums are in focus and the view is a little off focus. Hi, I'm Lori. The New England field trip was the second trip I've been privileged to attend. It was another wonderful time and I can honestly call Susan, Beckett, and Laura friends. The first Newport mansion we visited was Rough Point, owned by the eccentric Doris Duke. We learned some interesting things about her, like she had 10 dogs at once. They weren't housebroken, as evidenced by stains on the furniture in the solarium. She also had two camels, Baby and Princess, who roamed the grounds once she brought them inside the solarium to ride out a hurricane. At lunch, there was a discussion about a few things not mentioned on the tour, so I did a little research. It was 1966. 
Doris was quite attached to her interior designer, Eduardo Torillo. He told her he was leaving to go back to Hollywood, and she couldn't convince him to stay. One afternoon, as they were leaving for a meeting, Eduardo got out of the car to close the gates. Doris slid over to the driver's seat to drive through, when suddenly, the car lurched forward, pinning Eduardo into the gate. The car continued to go forward, smashing through the gate and running over Eduardo before crashing into a tree. Doris insisted this was an accident. She said, the car just leapt forward and she couldn't remember anything after that. The police chief ruled the incident an unfortunate accident and no charges were filed. And then there's a story about Doris's reincarnated daughter, but I don't have time for that. Let's hope that the History Chicks do an episode on Doris Duke so we can all learn more about her. So the next day we woke up for another mansion experience. This day we went to the Breakers, which is a Vanderbilt house people just weren't ready for. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is Versailles-like in its um, Rococo decoration, crystal chandeliers, gilt ceilings, the plaster work kept people in in work for many, many years. Um, The view from that back portico also can't be beat. I don't even know what to tell you about the breakers. If you haven't been there, you should go. It's almost hard to imagine yourself living even for a small period of seven or eight weeks in the summer. This is not a place for casual living. This is a place to be on stage. Mm. Um, We felt, as we said, like ants in a fancy box. (laughs) (laughs) This is Traveler Audrey with her experience at the Breakers. What I loved about this trip was having the feeling that my interests weren't hurting, holding anyone back. So usually on family vacations, like for example, six years ago, my family went to Boston and there were things I didn't pressure my family to go to like Orchard House because I knew I was the only one interested in that. So with this trip being all the places I wanted to go to, I knew everyone else on the trip wanted to go to these places that were you know, more quirky and nerdy, just made it more enjoyable to me. One example is at the Breakers, we got there and they have an app that you listen to for your personally guided audio tour. And you can do the bare bones part of it. You can even just read things, which I think is even less information. Or they have extras in the app, like more information on each room you were in. And I listened to every little bit of that tour. I wanted all the information. I wanted everything they wanted to give me. And I think it took me a couple hours, if not more, to go through the house where it took people not as long. (laughs) I had to go on the second trolley when we were leaving uh, just because I took my time in that house because I wanted to soak up every bit of information. So that was maybe the most quirky, nerdy thing that I did, which doesn't feel that nerdy in this group. One of the things I liked about the Breakers was all the special features on the audio tour. And one of them was um, the difference of a little girl growing up in the house and a little girl who was a servant's child Mm -hmm. and her experience in that house. There was a lot of playing on the back stairs. There were six to eight children of servants. Remember, they were just some of them hired for the season from the local populace. And so some children also came to live there and were able to jump rope in this little shaded part of the garden out of sight of the house. I mean, they had such a different life from the little kids that lived there. There is a playhouse on the grounds of the Breakers (laughs) that is literally a house that you and I might live in, a bungalow. I want to say it's a two-bedroom bungalow with a full kitchen, plumbing, 
electricity, uh, all for the use of the small children of the house. Isn't it quaint, this little house? You know, sometimes it's just the little things that you're like, oh, I wish I had that at my house. They had a flower pantry. It was a long wooden counter with a big sink. And it's where they put together all the bouquets that were throughout the um, mansion in the day. So I was like, oh, I wish I had a flower pantry. I really liked it. We also saw the call bells both upstairs, what they looked like, and then the downstairs reveal. Uh, Unfortunately, they have a light mounted right in front of the call box, so you can't get a good picture. Like, ding dongs, I'm going to write them a letter. But um, the (laughs) butler's pantry actually is my boat ideal for my kitchen, so I might have to show some people this picture that I took. It was two stories. How are you going to get that second story in there? No, no. I'll I'll show you the picture. It was two stories. (laughs) The part, no. Okay. I mean, you know what? The cabinets that are in my kitchen right now actually look like this, but painted. So I think it's period appropriate. So I'm going to see what I could do about that. Oh, I bet it is. I mean, you're going to put a dumbwaiter in there? (laughs) I have a dumbwaiter. You do? Yeah. There's a dumbwaiter in my kitchen right now. Where? Behind the butcher block. Really? The problem with the dumbwaiter in my house, however, is anytime anybody needed to run a line for anything... They've used the conveniently located dumbwaiter shaft as an easy way. So there's no possible way to get the dumbwaiter back because all the electricity and plumbing runs through that shaft. Ah. Most of the pictures I took of the breakers, honestly, were the outside of the house. Mm -hmm. And the sky could not have been bluer. And I literally don't have a blue filter on these pictures. And I'm just astonished. I don't have a blue filter and it looks like I do. The pictures I took of the ivy growing over the stone, the grass lawn leading down to the ocean, and the glorious clouds that are only along the rim, the other vines that are just now starting to turn red. I mean, I spent all of my photo snapping dollars (laughs) here on um, ceilings and gardens. I don't know. That seems to be the theme. That's interesting. Yeah, I was I was doing a lot outside as well. And I'm looking at them right now. And yes, that sky is unbelievably blue. Mm-hmm. After the breakers, we had a schooner cruise of Narragansett Bay planned on a ship called the Adirondack 2. It was a lovely vessel. It was also a very windy day. It, it was very choppy out. It was so windy that cruise ships couldn't even get into the harbor. So instead of a lovely sail, we had a lovely motor around the harbor of Newport, which was actually enjoyable. I think I could see the relief on a number of people's faces who were concerned about sailing. You know, am I going to get sick? I've never been sailing. And once they realized we were just going to be motoring, the sails weren't even going up. There was just like a relief just washed right over them. Also, the relief that there was now a full open bar as compensation by the company for not being able to go out. Um, it all worked out. It did. Many dark and stormies later, you know, it was quite lovely. I had a premonition that morning and just knew that I was going to end up accidentally dropping my phone into the ocean. So I left it at home and I have no pictures of, um, and that's fine because I just don't do this often enough to live in the moment. Mm. I wasn't taking pictures of anything. Mm. There's no point of hoping for it. I didn't have my phone anywhere near me. So I had to live in the moment and breathe in the crisp air and talk to the people and see the things and just experience in a way that I um, need to do more often. There's a lesson. 
That is a great lesson. I did have my phone. I had it on a lanyard around my neck. I do have a lovely photograph of Beckett and I because we both realized how chilly it was going to be on the water. And we went out in Newport and bought hats. (laughs) (laughs) And they're perfect. Like they are perfect representations of both of us. So I have a lovely selfie of us. That I think I'm just going to use whenever anybody asks for a picture. I'm just going to send them that one because it's adorable. One of the people that we met, and that's in italics, uh, while we were on this cruise was Ida Lewis, who was a female lighthouse keeper in Newport Harbor. We will cover her at some point. She has a fascinating story that just brought smiles to all of our faces. So it's just fun, you know, to meet people like that when you're touring. Now, I say meet. She's long dead, so we can cover her. But um, there is a little yacht club that's named after her. It's It was just fun. It was fun to hear the history that we probably wouldn't have if we were out sailing in the bay. And then later that night, Susan had found a lovely tavern that was having pub trivia. And the word is, if we didn't get in early and save seats, there were so many regulars coming to pub trivia that we would not be able to all fit. So Susan and I went to hold tables so early. I have never, (laughs) ever been that early for pub trivia before. We decided to have fish and chips as it felt like one of the bars we had loved in in London. So we had fish and chips and cocktails and waited and everyone gathered. And sure enough, after a while, we had approximately 20 people for pub trivia. We had three teams, ultimately. Team called Like You Do, that was my team. <laughs> I think my team, I was trying to remember, I didn't write it down, but I think our team was called Sure Why Not. And then the third team was called the Balcony Chicks because three ladies um, were not able to find seats at the table and took up seats on the balcony. I have a lovely video of them dancing to a Billy Idol song, but just with their arms. <laughs> It was great. Um, we we both did really good. We were thrown. We were thrown because the very first round of four, 25% of your score was <laughs> Disney Channel shows and movies. Right. And most of us were not so good. Um, we had a ringer on our team who was in the right age range. But alas, that dumped both of us out of the number one and number two spot. <laughs> Alas. Yeah. Yeah. My team, I had three people that play trivia uh, every single week through the podcast lounge, our private Facebook group. And they were all wearing their trivia team history chicks t-shirts. I thought that was great. The team that won was called the Gilded Rage. We were outside after having been joyously defeated. We didn't. (laughs) And we wondered, hey, do we think that's part of the film crew for the Gilded Age? It was a valid question because HBO was in town in full force recording their series, The Gilded Age at the Elms, just across from where we had been at the Breakers. And so rather than wonder any further, Cynthia walked in and asked them, and no, they are not crew from the Gilded Age, but they are Gilded Age adjacent. These poor people were the liaison between the Newport Preservation Society and the film crew that had to make sure everything came out of this filming unscathed. They had to protect all the assets and incidentally make sure that everything was period appropriate. And they had had a day. Evidently, they had a tough, (laughs) grueling, stress-filled day 
I am thinking that most of these people are researchers and introverts who had had to interact with the extroverts of Hollywood and New York City all day and had basically had it. Um, so I am glad they deserve to win. <laughs> That's right. And they deserve to have a great time. And I think they did. So cheers to the Gilded Rage. The gentleman that was running it, his name is John, and he at the last minute, knowing that we were there, stuck in a round on women's history. But okay. yeah, <laughs> that didn't even save us. <laughs> Hi, this is Kathy from Arizona. I had the great privilege of being a seagull for two days of the History Chicks New England field trip. A seagull is someone who swoops in and gets to experience just a morsel of the full field trip. I joined the tour for some of the activities in Newport, Rhode Island, and my sister-in-law, Liz, who lives in the area, even got to join us for a day. I also got to meet up with another history chick, Nancy, separate from the tour, which was awesome. It sounds super corny to say this, but this trip filled me with joy. I've been listening to the podcast for a few years and have participated in the History Chicks trivia group, and meeting Susan and Beckett and so many others in person was really a wonderful experience. I very much enjoyed touring the fabulous sites from the Gilded Age. Seeing the Duke Mansion and then the even grander Vanderbilt Mansion was amazing, and attending pub trivia night was so much fun. But the truth is, I probably would have enjoyed touring a cardboard box factory if I got to experience it with all of you. Thanks so much for a wonderful experience, and I hope to see all of you again very soon. day we went to another glorious mansion, Tessie Ulrich's party house of Rosecliff. One of the things that I liked about it is in the audio tour, um, when you entered the ballroom, they started playing a waltz. And I, that is like one of my lifelong dreams that I'm probably never going to fulfill is doing that thing where you have the long skirt and you just like, it's one, two, three, whoosh. Oh, yeah. You know, like in Gone with the Wind. So you kind of imagined yourself there. And had I been by myself, maybe I would have done a little waltz. But when you walked into that ballroom, on one side was this expanse of lawn and ocean. And on the other side, with just as many windows, was a garden. So you just walked into this room that was just filled with windows and light and ocean and gardens. It took my breath away. I think that was the room that I stayed the longest in. They had an exhibit upstairs of everyday objects, you know, put in context and whoever put the descriptions together was very clear that some of these objects had problematic origins. They had been produced with enslaved labor or had been obtained in the Chinese market, um, not maybe through the most ethical of channels or they were reproductions of something, knockoffs of something. Anyway, it wasn't all that, but it went into the background of these objects that would have been like an everyday thing to see for these people 
people and went a little bit into their history. And that's not something that we got a lot of. And I really appreciated that exhibit a lot. So later that day, we walked to the cliff walk. And I have a hilarious sign. Well, it's not that hilarious if it applies to you, but it basically says stay on the paved path has a picture of a mountain and a sideways human figure falling to its doom. It really, (laughs) it really means stay on the path. Um, And as a matter of fact, part of it washed into the ocean about a year before we got there. So there were parts of it that were just gone. (laughs) Yeah. I sent that same picture to my family group chat and I looked like I was falling off the edge. I really wasn't even close, but they're like, be careful. What are you doing? I thought this was safe. (laughs) It was fun. It was a beautiful day, beautiful day to walk and see the backs of the mansions. And then when we left... Crunching through the leaves and looking at the beautiful campus of the lucky university students that got to go to school on Newport Island, we got on our bus and took a tour through the rest of Newport. Again, we had a very good tour guide. Her name was Christina, and she was a local. We'd pass by places, and she's like, oh, there's my elementary school. And we were passing by Hammersmith Farm, which is where Jack and Jackie Kennedy had their wedding reception. And she's like, and that's where the wedding reception was? Oh, I was there. What? You were there? She was a young child, and they had snuck on the property to take a peek to see if it, what the hoopla was all about. But she was there. And they were super bored. They're like, okay, I've had enough of this. And they like inched back on their stomachs, backwards through the bushes, got back on their bikes and drove away. But little did they know they had witnessed history. Shannon Nelson, the most quirky or interesting thing I did on the trip was attend a lecture in a break-off group with some of the other travelers. We went to Rosecliff and listened to a lecture on the transportation to and from New York and Boston and ended up at a reception afterwards drinking delicious wine and eating cheese in a historic place was just so awesome because that's what it was designed for. It was a showpiece for bringing people together of the upper crust, but it was just amazing to be in that place and do an activity that it was designed for. The other takeaway I have from the trip is the ability to do things that would not necessarily be in my comfort zone. Traveling with 41 other people at that point, only one I knew. Um, I knew you, Susan and Beckett from, you know, listening for years, but it was amazing just to meet like-minded travelers who had nothing but good times ahead and the ability to share and enjoy each other's company. And nobody ever felt like they didn't belong. And often as a history nerd, it can be hard to fit in. That evening, Beckett and I took our own tour of yet another cemetery. This was the Common Burying Ground. It was a very historic cemetery in Newport. And we just walked around looking again at all the headstones. I can't believe we spent as much time in cemeteries as we did. One thing that we noticed in this cemetery, and I'm certain it was true of every cemetery, just the order that we came across them, the number of young women who died between, say, 20 and 35 Mm -hmm. was pretty high. Yeah. Friday brought us to another historic house 
Knott Mansion, there together in the midst of a, a bustling neighborhood are the birthplaces of John Adams and John Quincy Adams, and not incidentally, the home of former subject Abigail Adams. Um, we had some of the most knowledgeable tour guides ever at this place. And I have to tell you, this was where I got my favorite souvenir of the whole trip. The guide that was the most intense and the most knowledgeable said he had listened to our show on Abigail Adams. And I quote, there was nothing he could add. So he went into the archive and got us some letters. That is the biggest compliment I think I could ever get. That is a huge compliment, and I wish I had heard it and not been in the <laughs> the ladies' room. <laughs> we broke up into smaller groups again, and we toured the two homes, and they were just kind of the exact opposite of all those mansions. Like you said, they were just small, colonial. One was a salt box. The other was a cape, and very typical of homes that are still in existence. John and Abigail's house in this little compound looked an awful lot like the house I grew up in. I was like walking through going, oh, I have that desk. I just got it from my parents or we had that chair, you know, replicas. But it felt like going home. And you know what? Our group was so knowledgeable and so interested. And I am not entirely certain that those park rangers get the intensity of our interested parties. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we kept asking and asking all these questions. And somebody asked about the paint color. We asked about the bread ovens. We asked about the floors and, you know, what percentage of the original house remained and what parts of the house were original. And was this the well? And like we mm -hmm. had so <laughs> many questions and the shyest of the guards. I can't do his accent, but he goes, you know, you know, all these things and you have them in your head and you never get to bring them out. And then one day you think, wait, I know that. <laughs> and he goes, it makes you feel kind of good. <laughs> so we all made a guy's day way better. We left those two homes and went to Peacefield, which is the much larger home where John and Abigail moved after the presidency. Where Susan engaged in some um, theft. Oh, I did not. I asked permission. Okay, so... <laughs> well, okay, you asked permission sort of 60% through the endeavor. There was another traveler who was doing the same thing as I was. As a matter of fact, they were sharing their bounty with me. And as we were traveling places, we would see dead flowers that we would really like to grow. So we would just pinch off the seed pods. It's gardening. We're helping with the gardening. And we saved our little seeds. And in the spring, we will be planting them and seeing what comes up. When we were at Peacefield, there was actually a gardener that was working. And so we engaged in a conversation and she gave us some seed pods. Like, here, I'm just trimming these. So that was a delight. So I didn't have to steal them. Yay! We also saw the Stone Library, which ultimately ended up not being erected until after our original protagonists had left this earth. I think the Stone Library was one of the favorite spots of our tour for a lot of people. It was just so beautiful to walk in and see walls of old books, two levels of them. 
and everyone got these shots. The sun was streaming in through the window, and the lighting was perfection. And we all got the same photographs that look like postcards inside this dark stone building. It was a moment. And we met a park ranger named Betsy, one of the very few female park rangers we came across during our travels who had started out more of a um, like a forest type of ranger and had transitioned into these more museum-like historic place park ranger jobs. And she really was very informative. I do know some girls that I think would really enjoy that career. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of them, such experts in their respective place and the time period and everything, just like that you could find a job that meets all your expectations with regard to your nerdery and your passion, you know? Mm -hmm. My name is Patrick. On our trip to New England, I was most taken with the the humble homes of these great people who did so much for our country, specifically um, John and Abigail Adams. One, how much Abigail did to support her family and her relationship with her husband while he was overseas. And I really got to understand the commitment between the two of them, in addition to him being gone for so long and them staying together. Being with my wife on our 25th anniversary for this tour uh, made me realize the difficulty of that and his commitment to our country and to his wife. After we left Peacefield, we went to the first parish church, which is where the Adams were laid to rest. There was a tour guide at the door, and, and he looks at us. He goes, I know what you want to see. Let's go to the crypts. I've never been in a crypt in my entire life. And he just walked us down to the basement into this crypt, and there's lying John Adams, Abigail Adams, John Quincy Adams, and his wife, Louisa. I, I blew my mind. I'm, I'm getting tingly right now thinking about it. There's just something about, you know, just being in this regular church, and there wasn't a lot of people touring around. It was, looked like, you know, any other old New England church. And you just go to the basement where potluck dinners are served, and there's a crypt. <laughs> there was a sign that I took a note of. It says, Abigail Adams, as daughter, wife, and mother, a model of domestic worth. Her letters are an American classic. The Abigail Adams chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution caused this tablet to be affixed in 1900. I mean, to unpack that one set of words, you know, that they focused on her domestic abilities and then her letters and, you know, the things that the 1900s DAR thought were important about Abigail Adams. Mm hmm. Hey, History Chicks. This is Megan. So glad I got to go on a New England trip. It's just it's a trip of a lifetime. And never having been to the area, I was looking forward to every bit of it. And it all lived up to my expectations and then some. But I think what surprised me was uh, I got emotional about all the Adams stuff. It just seeing where the two of our presidents were born and then where they're laid to rest and then knowing Abigail and all she did. And it's, it was just very emotional. And I loved every bit of that and learning more about them. And I didn't know that John Quincy Adams had gone back to being a representative after he was president. And he's the only president to have done so. I love that. I thought that said a lot about him. And the property of Peacefield on having that stone library, that was just incredible. The library of my dreams. It was just gorgeous. I didn't know that was there. Love that we got to see that. It's still one of my favorite parts, if not my favorite part. <laughs> Thank you, girls, for all you do. So glad I got to get to go. 
Love y'all. And um, that night, it was just amazing. We all belonged to this WhatsApp group, kind of a real-time update type of situation. And the things people did with their time right after we got back from the Adams houses, we have people with flights of oysters Mm -hmm. from all over the East Coast. There were people who went on a quest to find the best cannoli in Boston. There were people who went to small museums all over the city or went to the Boston Tea Party experience. We have people having gone to the bookstore, the Brattle Bookstore, four floors of antique and vintage books. You know I was there. If you're in the Boston area, you might be interested to know that the Opera House is going to show Six, the musical, all of December and all of November. It starts on the 9th of November. And I highly recommend going to get tickets to that show Mm -hmm. if you're within striking distance. Definitely. Oh, what a great place to see it. Yeah. Actually, and there's every place is a great place to see it. It's such a fun show. I was of the oyster burying people because my brother and his wife and my cousin and her husband had both come into Boston to Seagull on our trip. And I was able to go out for oysters with uh, my brother, who also loves oysters, which Beckett Graham, although I love her dearly, does not. And I did not want to have oysters with Beckett because she wouldn't appreciate the joy of them for me (laughs) fully. DJ and Tracy and I had oysters and it was just a beautiful day. I keep saying we went to a place called the Krusty Crab, but it's really called the Barking Crab. And it was outside in the Seaport District. It was fun. It was great. Good memory. Yeah, me and exoskeletons, we just do not get along. No. (laughs) And that's fine. You don't make faces or anything. You're fine. It's just that sometimes when you want to eat something, you want to be with people who appreciate it as much as you do. Totally legitimate. Yep. It's like going to have fancy cocktails with somebody that orders a beer. Right! Yes. You're like perfectly legitimate order, but also not with the spirit of this endeavor. That's right. Exactly. Hi, this is Dave. I was a rooster in England and a seagull in New England. Today I'm reporting on something I'd never seen before in Boston, Acorn Street. Acorn Street is the most photographed street in the United States. It dates back to the 1820s. It's a beautiful cobblestone street with red brick row houses that were originally inhabited by tradespeople and artisans. It is in the Beacon Hill area and is a must-see. It was great going on the History Chicks New England trip because I got to see so many people who I had the pleasure of meeting on the England trip this past summer. Some people took off to walk the Freedom Trail, and that was actually something that people would do anytime there was a little extra time. They uh, would kind of self-guide through um, most of the historic sites of Boston. There's a lot of the Freedom Trail that can be walked just in the breaks between our activities. So over the course of the week, people managed to get through most of it. And as night approached, we all put on our fancy shoes and headed down to the harbor because it was time for the dinner cruise. And on the dinner cruise, not only everyone that was on the New England trip came, but we had 30 additional people. Believe it or not, many seagulls from London and participants from London came to join us on this cruise. Yeah, we have a picture. I'll put it in the show notes. There were 12 of us that had gone to London that were on the Lexington traveling around the Boston Harbor that night. It was amazing. 
Hi, this is Diana from New York City. This community has really affected my life, so even though I couldn't join in on the whole trip through New England, I decided to become a seagull this time around. I reached out to some other ladies I had met in London, and we set in motion a plan to meet back up in Boston for the dinner cruise. I wasn't sure how it would be not having the benefit of getting to know everyone throughout the week, but I found all the tour participants welcoming and a pleasure to chat with. On the boat, everyone let loose, shared stories and experiences from the week, and made me feel really included. I should have known better than to worry. I feel confident that there will be more traipsing around this world with the History Chicks in my future. It was such a fun party, and I think for me, the most enjoyable part was seeing people walk in who weren't on a tour. They had just come for the dinner cruise and immediately assimilate into the crowd. Like you couldn't tell the difference between the people that were with us the whole week and the people that just came on. And my best friend from college, Pierre, had come and he was mingling around. That was just a joy to watch. We had the greatest line dance to Cotton Eye Joe from people all over the country. It was amazing. Everyone was joking and laughing and making new friends and um, going outside to cool off, letting the sea air hit their faces. It was really, really nice. Hi, History Chicks. This is Stephanie McLaughlin, and I'm here with my daughter, Emma. We were just so thrilled to be able to join you on the Riverboat Cruise in Boston Harbor. And it was so great to meet you in person after listening to you for a long time. And here is Emma. Hi, my name is Emma. Something emotional that happened to me when we were on the cruise was when you sat next to us at dinner, because I've been listening to your podcast for about a year, and it was really cool to meet you in person. We hope you're having a great day, and we can't wait to hear your next podcast. Thank you. Hi, this is Lara Hart. As many of you know, I am the group tour organizer. And I want to talk about a time where I felt very emotional. And that was on our Friday night dinner cruise in the Boston Harbor. When you do these group tours, you don't always know how the group dynamics going to be. And I know a lot of people come into it with preconceived notions about what a group tour means. I always know that the group will bond and often form lifelong friendships. But I feel like this group was very special and came together very quick. And on that dinner cruise in the Boston Harbor, if an outsider looked in on the group, they would have thought we were lifelong friends. And to think that we were just strangers a few days before really made me feel emotional. It's what I hoped would happen. It's what I hope happens on every tour. And I feel like this particular group really, really came together. And it was so much fun dancing and having conversations on that boat ride. We had a group downstairs that was having amazing conversation and the group upstairs was just there for the party. So I want to have a special thank you to everybody that was a part of this tour. Another special thank you for those in the New England area that joined us and fought the Friday night traffic to be there. And another special thank you to the handful of people that were on our London tour last summer that flew in from around the country just to be on this dinner cruise. So again, thank you so much. It was a wonderful time and just pure joy for me. So I I appreciate every single one of you, and I hope to see you all on a future tour. Hi, this is Janet, and I loved the Fall New England History Chicks tour. I have lived and gone to school in New England, but most of these places were brand new to me. And I learned amazing things like how to pronounce Thoreau and Alcott, and that there are a million suffragists I need to learn more about. 
but mostly the idea of a like minds travel, which is the company Laura runs and put this together, was amazing. I came by myself, but I never felt alone or lonely. And I think my most cherished moment is the Boston Harbor cruise. We, our group had been together for a week. We had gelled into friendships and loved each other. But then the seagulls joined us. And again, we just had an amazing time together, sitting around the table and talking to people and feeling seen and heard and a part of something um, just made me feel so happy. I really appreciate the work Beckett and Susan do to bring together this group and to bring together people from all over the world. You're a ray of light to me in a dark and troubled time, and I can't thank you enough. And I'll see you next time. I personally have a rule not to dance if someone is standing around with a camera because every picture I've ever seen of myself dancing, the joy that I'm feeling in the moment does not come through on that image. So I was enjoying myself watching everybody. But Laura's cousin, Sabrina, who was her right hand during this entire tour, she doesn't subscribe to that. She is of the joyful dance, whole heart, put yourself into it, be the life of the party. She was just amazing dancing every dance. It was it was so fun to watch. Hi, this is Deb and Jim, Susan's cousins. We had a great time on the cruise. Lots of pictures of the harbor. It was beautiful. The surprising thing in Boston was there's a brewery called Democracy Brewing. They named their beers after seekers of democracy. Like they had a beer called the Consummate Rioter, named after Ebenezer McIntosh, who was nicknamed the Consummate Rioter by Sam Adams, the leader of the Sons of Liberty. We had a great time. Thank you. As if the dinner cruise wasn't enough, it was kind of one of those, but wait, there's more moments because we had a whole other day to explore Boston. And we started Saturday with a suffragist walking tour. It was done by Boston by Foot. And we walked around Boston listening to the stories of the female suffragists that came long, long, long before we did. Also on the way, as a side note, we saw the site of the very first public school in the United States. It was founded in 1635. Amazingly, it was the Boston Latin School. And there is a um, glorious piece of art embedded into the sidewalk at the site. And right next to it is the statue of Benjamin Franklin that may have inspired Edmonia Lewis to begin sculpting in earnest. <laughs> the guide was talking about the building and all of us were looking at the statue and like slipping away to take pictures of it. Like, mm -hmm. is that the Edmonia Lewis statue? Yeah. Hi, my name is Ellen and I was a New England seagull. I actually did the London field trip back in June and became friends with some amazing women. A few months ago, we decided we wanted to meet up on the Boston dinner cruise. Not only was it wonderful seeing these friends again, it was great seeing Susan, Beckett, Laura, and other amazing folks from London. Plus, I really enjoyed meeting everyone on the New England trip and the Boston locals. It was so much fun being on a boat and dancing with other people who love this podcast as much as I do. The next day, I got to tag along with the Suffragette tour. Our tour guides were so informative, and Michelle even pointed out the Benjamin Franklin statue that inspired Ammonia Lewis to become a sculpture. Plus, I loved learning more about the suffragette Lucy Stone. She's often forgotten compared to Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but she was just as important as them in getting women the right to vote. Thank you again, Susan and Beckett, for this amazing podcast. And thanks, Laura, for planning these amazing trips. I can't wait for the next one. 
on the way, as we were learning and walking uh, on the suffragist tour, we passed a restaurant that I wish we could have gone to, but it was only open for dinner. It was called the Carrie Nation. <laughs> um, and I wish I could have had a bourbon there. You know how we like the irony. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been great to have a bourbon with you at the Carrie Nation. Would have enjoyed maybe that. Maybe next time. Maybe. Maybe. More grimly, however, let me just tell you, we took a circle back around and encountered the Holocaust Memorial. And I cannot tell you how moving this is. It is a series of glass columns. I want to say they're three stories tall, 100% covered in tiny etched tattoo numbers. Heated smoke circles around your feet. The middle of this yard is covered in rocks. In the Jewish tradition, when you visit a gravestone, you place a rock on, you know, in memorial. And this has a whole yard full of rocks. And there are quotes from some of the survivors and also from those that did not make it. And it is a very poignant reminder in the middle of a major city, a moment of reflection, I think. Mm, definitely. Definitely. It was it was very moving. Those rocks, when I saw them, they just, that was the moment when I just kind of welled up because of the impact. It, it was very well done. And I would like to encourage you, if you are so inclined, to follow the Auschwitz Museum on Twitter. It's at Auschwitz Museum. And every day they post someone who was born that day who went through the concentration camps. Um, where they came from, most of the pictures are actually from a happier point in their life. You'll you'll see wedding pictures, you'll see childhood pictures with their favorite toys, that kind of thing. And it really brings it home in a very personal way, mm-hmm. the way that memorial did for me. I just kind of make a point to to follow them. Yeah. Hi, this is Cindy. Something I did for the first time on this trip, outside of all the wonderful planned events, was that I went to the top of Faneuil Hall to see the Great Hall. After an extremely interesting suffrage tour was over, the guide offered to take us to Faneuil Hall to show us the statue of Lucy Stone. I had no idea the Great Hall was there, much less the treat awaiting for us. As the guide took us over to the statue, a park ranger approached and said she was going to give a talk about the Great Hall and would we like to attend. Well, of course we wanted to attend. What proceeded spoke to my heart. She began by saying that Faneuil Hall has a history of being a place to gather to discuss the hard topics of the time. It was a place where both sides of a topic can be discussed and debated. To quote her, we are a nation where our words truly matter. She shared stories of the American Revolution as it unfolded in Boston and the creation of our country where we're free to express our opinions and discuss them. She continued to share other events that took place in the hall, such as when Lucy Stone spoke about the right to vote, and she concluded sharing that a recent group of individuals had become U.S. citizens in that very hall where they gained the most precious right to freedom of speech. I ended the talk in happy tears. Thanks for an amazing week. And this is traveler, rooster, and vintage jacket acquirer, Sean. I'm a super emotional person, and I often cried from being overwhelmed from the power of place with so much pivotal history. Lisa May Alcott's desk, where she wrote Little Women, John Quincy Adams' birthplace, the Stone Library at Peacefield, 
leaving the perfection of the breakers. But I was most surprised by the park ranger's powerful speech in front of us at Flannel Hall, placing it in the historical context from before the nation's birth through today as the cradle of liberty, a place for debate and democratic discussion of difficult topics from taxation and representation to slavery to human rights. I was particularly overwhelmed as one of my favorite suffragists, Lucy Stone, and one of my favorite presidents, John Quincy Adams, looked on. Adams, with his favorite telescope in his hand, was special to me as a board member of the Cincinnati Observatory, the first public observatory in the U.S., for which he laid the cornerstone. Despite his illness, because he fought his entire career for a public observatory, it was the last major thing he did before his death. So by the end of the park ranger speech at Flannel Hall, my face was entirely wet. I took a little bit of a detour. Susan will tell you where they went afterward. Um, I took a little tiny graffiti tour. My son is uh, into murals in street art, and I took a little trip to uh, underneath a bridge and snapped some photos of some uh, murals, one of which says, nevertheless, she persisted, and another that says, respect women. So there's two that were very appropriate for our, um, our trip. The first one's out of the Uber. And then on the way back, I saw a giant little free library. Um, it looks like a little kiosk. It probably has 300 books in it. And it looks like they close it up every night. But it was kind of a little, little dessert on the way back to the hotel. Well, while you were seeing the little free library, the rest of us were going to the big library, the Boston Public Library. We went and walked around for a while, just going from room to room. Each of these rooms was massive. It was like no library I've ever seen. It reminded me a lot of some of the places we toured in London, you know, churches. And it was just stunning, beautiful art beautiful themes to rooms. My daughter works in a library and she happened to be working while I was going through there and I was taking photographs and sending them to her. And she was just, well, jealous and just mesmerized and blown away. And she works in a beautiful library, but this was just something I'd never seen before. And then it got even better because we had a private tea party in the courtyard tea room. We had it just to ourselves. It was a beautiful room with linen napkins and tablecloths and silver. And it was a proper tea, just like we had in London. I had to remember my etiquette lessons and put my elbow in because it still wants to go out. So I thought that was just a wonderful way for all of us to kind of just take a little break. It was kind of the tea time of our tour because it was almost to the end, but it was just a moment where you could just enjoy each other's company in a beautiful space just by us and have some very tasty snacks and some exceptional tea. Hello, my name is Barb. One of the things I was most surprised about on our field trip was the beauty and magnificence of the Boston Public Library. I just love libraries. I feel like they are gifts to us, gifts for our minds and our imaginations. The moment you walked up the steps to the Boston Library, you knew you were in a special place, and I looked up. There was marble and artworks, both hanging in frames and painted on the walls. There was gold leaf and beautiful woodwork. I wandered down the hallways, seeing all the rooms filled with students working under green, 
banker lamps surrounded by shelves filled with books. Did I mention that I looked up when I walked in? Well, I walked right by the stack of library maps available to help navigate the building. Thank goodness, because I got lost. Going down hallways and staircases until I emerged in another magical space, the children and young adults section, with far more noise, far lower ceilings, and primary colors on the walls. I have found some of my favorite books in the young adult section. I will never forget when I picked up a copy of the first Harry Potter book. Who could? I haven't even gotten to the tea in the library, but that will have to be someone else's story. Thank you, Susan Beckett, and of course, Laura, for a wonderful trip. I will never forget it. Hello, this is June, and I was a seagull on the New England trip, and I was so happy I was able to join the group for tea at the Boston Public Library. I was expecting a grand building, but I was blown away by the beauty of the artwork and the magnificence of the building overall. I think if I had ever had to research or study there, I would not have been able to pay any attention. I would have been too distracted by the beauty around me. I think it was amazing that when they built that over a century ago, they had the foresight to include these great works of art. But it was a wonderful visit, and I was glad I was able to visit with the trip people. Thank you. And then we moved on to another and our last culinary experience, the farewell dinner at Fiore. And our group and the line we created caused great dismay among other patrons who thought, oh, no. <laughs> the line for this place is long. Actually, somebody joined the line just because it was so long. This must be a good place, they said. <laughs> and it was. I have to tell you, even now, and Chris Graham knows I'm going to say this, that was the best eggplant parmesan I'd ever had in my entire life. It was really good. I was very happy that I ordered that, too. It, it was bittersweet, though, because we knew that that was it. That was the last thing we were going to do together as a group. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Laura and Sabrina were flying away at six in the morning after this. That was the last thing they were going to do with us. And um, there was much hugging, exchanging of information between people who had made friends mm -hmm. on this trip. And I do believe we'll stay friends for life. I agree. As a matter of fact, already this group has created a little book club amongst themselves. They called it Chicklet. And they're starting to read a story. Uh, I forget the title of it, but it was set at Rough Point. That was their first book that they were going to do. And some of us have created a seed exchange. So when our seeds grow, we can exchange seeds across the country. I like it. Yeah, I did too. That was a wonderful little way to extend their friendships. I think it's great. So I'm a science person, not a history geek. In college, the only history I took was the distribution requirement, American history. Imagine my dismay when the professor expected you to know the facts. What he wanted to discuss was interpretation. Ouch. That said, I found the History Chicks podcaster, my love of the little house on the prairie books, and I never looked back. The field trip to New England allowed me to connect Susan and Beckett's stories to place. I learned more about the start of the American Revolution than I ever learned in that college history class. Who knew how tiny the Old North Bridge was? I was reminded again and again how capable and independent the women were. The persistence of the suffragettes over years and years really came through on our walking tour. And how stylish was our guide with her white dress, tricolor sash, and purple scarf. 
The Gilded Age mansions in Newport were for gawking at, and I loved the reality of the Vanderbilt children riding bikes in the big hall. Getting out on the water in beautiful New England weather made the trip magical. Who knew Susan and Beckett had direct line to the weather spirits? This trip just might turn me into a history geek. So we had a great time. We all became a family in in a way that shouldn't surprise me, but It's just amazing how in the short space of seven days, people can go from near strangers that have something important in common to dear friends that tease each other and know what each other likes and Mm -hmm. learn about each other's lives. And it's just amazing. Yeah, no, I I agree. There's so few times in life where you can do something like this, maybe kindergarten, the first couple of days of kindergarten, or maybe summer camp. And when you go off to college as a freshman, you have that immediate bonding moment. And then what happens? It doesn't happen again, you know, in your life until you can do something like this. Well, thanks to everyone who came. Thanks to everyone who followed along. Thanks for all the loved ones back home that held down the fort so everyone could go on this journey. Thanks again to Laura Hart for arranging everything and to Sabrina for being so on top of us and then also such a cheerleader for everything that we were doing. We really appreciate it. We were so glad to meet all of you. I just look so forward to the next one, which... I think we can reveal is going to be Paris and we believe October 2023. So our London trip sold out in just a couple days. So just keep an eye on our social medias and think about it because as soon as it posts, it's going to sell out. Also, download your Duolingo. That's what I'm doing. Me too. Me too. I'm already cruising through at level two. (laughs) So thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.
It's the devil in the whiskey now. 